0: And we talked uh, just in the outset of this whole series, in this idea that, that we should see the world vividly in response to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That's, that's where this all comes from. We should see everything much different when we recognize the gift of grace that's been given to us. The world before Christ was a bit gray and misunderstood to our hearts and souls, but after Christ's redemption... His death, burial, resurrection for us. We have a hope that gives us a very clear, a very different picture of the world, and we see it much more vividly. As we've talked about this text, Uh, specifically in reading Acts, there's two ways of looking at that. It's uh, both prescriptive and descriptive, where it says these are the things you should do and be about, and also these are stories of people and places and things. And so remember, we are in the process of kind of navigating some of those things to be able to feel out what are the things that are saying this is what I need you to do, and what are the things saying these are stories you need to hear in order to be built up in your faith. This Acts chapter 2 is one of those texts. The big picture of this tonight is uh, building off of what we started with last last week, where we said we're called to be a church who does not just have eyes and hands for itself, but a church that has uh, its energy, its finances, and its families pointed in the direction of outreach and multiplication. And so the challenge we ended the service with last week was to pray a prayer, that the Holy Spirit would clothe us with his presence and that we would go about our days full of the Holy Spirit, being able to see more clearly and be able to act outside of ourselves, knowing that God empowers his people through the Holy Spirit to accomplish things much greater than we could imagine. I hope some of you took us up on that challenge My challenge was today, um, I got the chance this morning to preach down in Buellton, California, which is like right outside of Solvang, if you've ever been out there, and so I didn't stop for Abel Skeever's or anything like that, but I did have an incredible Italian meal last night at a brand new top-ranked restaurant down there, and my friend Sam watches these on live stream, so I'm going to say thanks, Sam, that was awesome. But I was in Builton this morning, and I'm kind of treating Builton and that church down there as kind of a sister church to us. Um, Sam was uh, here in Visalia, and we met regularly and dreamed about this church, and he's spoken here a a couple times, and we talked about what it'd be like when we lead a church together, and then all of a sudden he up and went to Builton and is pastoring a church there and left me high and dry. But shortly after he left was also the time where the Lord said, now's the time to plant the church. And so we started our journeys very similarly to what they're doing down there. And so this morning to be able to share with them a little bit of what we've been walking through and for them to be encouraged through Acts chapter 1 and some of what we learned last week was an awesome, awesome opportunity. And and God's doing a great thing down there. They're growing. The, The Lord is developing that church and it's an exciting thing to be a part and have an influence there. I went One of the first things I noticed, they they strapped some barn wood to the walls. And I thought, oh, I know where you got that, right? And uh, we've been having some great times in community there. So I preached there this morning, jumped on the road, and then got here right before service tonight. And so I'm full and ready to go. So as we talk about Acts chapter 2, I want you to understand that that some of what we're talking about um, is telling us as a church what we need to be. The uh, text of Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 and what we'll see playing out there, again, the uh, prescriptive and descriptive, uh, it's giving us a picture of what this church can and should be to the community that we live in and how we can be a gospel-centered outreach station. We believe that God is multiplying his church, that he's using us to do it, And there's amazing things that are taking place. So as a result of some of the irrational generosity of the people who attend this church, beyond just the regular everyday giving, which if you're not yet, that's kind of God's command, so start doing it, and we can talk about that later. But the bigger picture of it is, as we've been able to go about, we put in place, by the leading of the Spirit, some very instrumental things into leading us to this next stage of our church and life. Uh, I mentioned to you guys, we've been live streaming these services for a couple weeks. This week we had 120 people that watched our service online, which is kind of a trip. Um, additionally, we, got the, we get monthly reports of kind of who goes to our website and all that kind of stuff, and we have a gospel presentation that's on our website. And so I'll just tell you, this is kind of crazy for me to imagine, but it's the World Wide Web. We have 4,800 8, 4, people visit our website. Um, we had 250 people watched the entirety of the gospel presentation and we had 16 that responded to Christ and responded with a question off of that that we've been able to connect with outside of that. That's just by us having a WWW, nothing else, right? And so knowing that that's the case and that 120 people were able to see this and be a part of this, I think we're on a journey that's much bigger than us. And we'll see that. As we go to recognize, again, in verse, in chapter 1, it said you're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's part of our task and our call. And so we believe that God is multiplying his church, and he's going to do it through the presence of the Spirit leading us. And so, for instance, we've got the McMaster, uh, their family, the McMaster family, and they're ready to go out and get their education on, I guess. (laughs) That's that's a current way of saying going to school uh, for like a year. And then uh, they're going to be sent out through Wycliffe Bible Translators, where they're going to go create an alphabet for a place and then create a, a section and texts of Scripture for them to study and learn by, because they don't have the, the Scriptures in their language. And we're going to be a big part of sending them out, and we're going we're gonna to see what God can do through us sowing into that ministry. And as we look at chapter 2 tonight, I, I want to just kind of make you aware, like in most church circles, and when we get to this text, we will tend to spend most of our time in either verses 1 through 13, where it talks about the Holy Ghost and the fire and the wind and all that kind of stuff, or we'll go to the last four verses where it kind of gives you this final wrap-up where they came together and they ate together, and it was a great thing. And yes, we do eat together right after service, so see you out there for dinner. But... The bigger picture to me that I wanted to draw out for us tonight is the message. The message that is proclaimed here in the text. Because this was the first sermon ever preached in this kind of a setting. And, and Peter had some great stuff to say, and I'm going to tell you, it was the most non-seeker-friendly message you could ever hear. we're going to talk through that in a minute, but it says over 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And so there's something in there, a bit of a formula that that I believe that God has, that he wants us to see so that we can practically apply that to the going out of the message of the gospel for Pipeline Church and what God has for this valley. So as we get going in in verse 14, if you'll pull that one up, it says that that Peter raised his voice and addressed the crowd fellow Jews, right? And now it, this setting would have been a, a big festival kind of setting. It was right after the barley harvest, and right before when they would start to go and plant their wheat to harvest their wheat. And so it was that in-between time, and, and kind of the, the closest that you could probably, it's kind of like a, a, a sort of Mardi Gras, like religious folks. I don't know what devout religious Jews would celebrate like, but I'm just going to say it was a big party and a big celebration. And so they're having this big party and this big celebration. And, and if the first 13 verses kind of lead us through the story where these people are up and they're in this room and they're praying and then there's a wind and there's tongues of fire and all of a sudden they start speaking other languages and they roll out of that place proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in languages that they've never even heard before. That, that's kind of crazy. But, but as the story goes... The people, they're not shocked necessarily by the fact, well, they are shocked that they're speaking other languages, but it's crazy to me that devoutly religious people, that their first assumption is these people who couldn't speak, I mean, it'd be kind of if I rolled up here tonight and just started speaking Dutch, right, just because that's our family connection, okay, Um, and I just was perfect, or what if I rolled up to Renata's house and just, you know, we just had a nice little Polish conversation, right? It would make you feel really good, I, I know, because you long for that in your heart, right? But, but if I rolled up and I was like, hey, how's it going, right? And, and it started from there, and, and that, yeah, okay, there's more to this, but, but here's the big picture, right? And, and then she would say, you don't even have your little California accent or your weird things that you normally say. You, you sound like one of my people. Now, how out of that do you think she's going to say, oh, you must be drunk, It's kind of a weird assumption, right? All of a sudden, you can speak another language. That's what drunk people do. No, (laughs) right? I've heard people speak a lot of languages when they're drunk, but it's not really like a technical language. It's more of the other, we call it a cursory language, if you will. (laughs) Okay, here's the idea, though. They're looking around, they're going, what in the world is this? And they're saying, well, they must be drunk. They must be out of their minds. There must be something else going on. And Peter, I love it. I love this idea that Peter gets up and speaks. You guys know Peter. He's a fisherman, not educated. He's not someone that would strike you. Like his hands were were rough from work. He wasn't somebody who walked in, you know, rolled up with his Bible tucked under his arm and let me tell you uh, about the goodness of the Lord, right? No, he's a working man and he gets up in front of all these people and he goes, hey, hey, I'm going to tell you what's going on. And I love the authority. Now let's not forget this is also Peter who had denied Christ and who sat days before this in front of a campfire with Jesus being restored and renewed. To me, that says there's hope. To me, that says I can act on the authority of the presence of God in my life even when I know I'm not worthy. In fact, when I read that text, when I see those things, when I understand that, then I think what we need to be proclaiming is even more when I know I'm not worthy. I will speak with even more authority because I'm speaking on the behalf of the God who rescued me. So we carry on into this text And there's a few things that I want you to take from this. The very first point, just from reading this uh, start off. So he says, uh, he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you this. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And he goes on. And I want you to say, the first thing I want you to get is that Jesus meets us where we are. He didn't say, go to the upper room. God didn't say, go to the upper room and wait, and I'm going to bring all the people there. One of the hard things about communicating the gospel in our community is is this tendency to like, like, I don't know all the answers, so why don't you just come to church with me? Well, you know what? Some of the most holy moments I've ever had in my life did not happen at church. Sometimes we need to be in the place where God can meet people where they are. Like meeting people in the midst of their work, meeting people in the midst of what they're walking through. Sometimes we just need to be met where we are. So these guys are at this feast, this celebration, this post barley and pre wheat, which apparently they weren't on like, you know, some kind of special, you know, no grains diet. But we'll talk about that later. But the big picture of this is he says, I'm going to meet you here. And I'm not expecting people to fill the upper room. No, I'm sending you out. So let's remember this. The gospel message goes out. It doesn't just reside in. God meets us where we are. And I would say that's both physically and spiritually. Again, we struggle with this idea that if I need to fix some things here, and then he'll have community with me. It's never the truth. I'm telling you, the, the, it's never the truth. He says, I'm looking at you. I see you, where you are currently, and I love you. The, the way a, a pastor friend that, that I like to listen to explains it is while we were in glad rebellion, in the middle of doing wrong, happily doing wrong, and knowing that it hurts the heart of God, he still came near and found me. Woo. That's deep, Right? Now there comes a moment maybe you grew up in church kind of like I did Maybe you were found maybe there was that one conversation that all of a sudden clicked the light on Maybe that's like what we talked about last week how the holy spirit Illuminates our hearts and helps us to understand but there was a moment where it wasn't anybody else's faith, but it became yours And if you haven't had that moment yet, maybe tonight needs to be the night and you're going to hear why in just a couple moments But it has to click over from being something that somebody else has put or something, a message that they say and they do, to being mine. And when we understand that, we've been met. So the the God of the universe meets us where we are, physically and spiritually. Second is in uh, chapter, or or verse 23, go ahead and pull that up. And I'm just going to go through this. We already read the text. So I'm going to pull out a couple key things for us to see. Verse 20 says, 23 says, this man was, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Again, this doesn't scream there's people that have questions about Jesus, and we got to ease them into it. Basically, his sermon was this. You need to understand what we're talking about because you killed God. And here, check this out. Go to verse 36. Can you track to that one real quick? we got a good system going here. Verse 36, he stresses it even again. And whenever a pastor says something twice, that's kind of the crazy picture about this. You ready? There we go. Verse 36. One more. It goes like this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both both Lord and Messiah. The message from Peter is, there's a God who came to earth to be among us, and you saw all the amazing things he did, and you killed him. Now, understand this. It says that Jesus spent 40 days cruising around with the disciples, telling them what to do and, and revealing Himself all along the way to them. In different scenarios, everybody from Thomas, who apparently wanted to stick his hand in Jesus' side, right? And, and all the way down to some guys who were walking on the road and talking about what had happened. There's, there's story after story. And for 40 days he had been doing that. And then he says, I want you to go to this room and wait. And there's, there's a lot of deliberation. Is it 40, 50, 60 days after Jesus' death that, that this happened in this upper room? But basically, I mean, it's been a couple of months, basically. So the people standing in that crowd, they may not even have been in the city at that time. They may not even have been present. They may not have been the ones who cried out, crucified him, crucify him. But one of the basic tenets of Peter's message is you killed God. You killed the most holy man that's ever walked the earth by your word and your deed and your action. And as that plays out, the text of Scripture reveals to me that I'm guilty of the very same thing. That I'm kind of in that boat too because I live in these moments of glad rebellion. That He died for me just as much as He did for them. And I may not have screamed out, crucify Him, but my actions have. And so I've brought to my knees to recognize my state. Point number two of Peter's sermon. The first one, was that God meets us where we are. Second, He tells us the truth about ourselves. I am so glad that He didn't say things to pacify us. That God doesn't tell us, you know what, you're all right. You're all right. You're okay. We'll let you in. You know, I know know what you're thinking. I want a God who tells the truth because if I've got a God who says, you know what, Jephthah, I understand where you were going with that, then that's not a God of justice and righteousness and holiness. I serve a God who says, I am perfect. And between me and you, there can be no communication because I cannot have community with sin. And for generations, God's people have been separated from God until Christ is revealed. And when Christ arrives, he builds a bridge. But I have to recognize that apart from Christ, there is no chance of salvation. That I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, no matter what that guy from Saturday Night Live says. No matter what we think, oh, you're so pretty, you're so nice, you're so blah, blah, blah. If it's not with the presence of the Holy Spirit guiding us back to Christ, we are lost. So Peter's message, God meets you here. And God tells you the truth. Now, here's this Romans 3.23 section of Scripture comes up to me uh, repeatedly. If you've ever gone through the Romans road, if you will, for all you who've been in church for a long time. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard of God. So I'm going to give it to you in like the, the, the Koine Greek. We'll go as deep as I can go. All in the Koine Greek means all. Since Some of you will catch it in a minute. You'll be like, oh, oh, that, yeah. It means everybody, all. All doesn't change. It doesn't mean some of us are you with brown hair and not you with blonde hair or vice versa. No, it just says all. All, everyone has sinned and broken relationship with God. And what that does, and we've talked about it time and time again in sermons and in messages and in Sunday school classes and as we've gone talking about our faith, there is no elevation at the foot of of the cross. When we come to the cross, we come as sinners in need of a Savior. All of us, whatever our sin and there's no looking around going, well, I'm not nearly as bad as what they do. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I probably get a front row seat. I get, you know, I, I'll take a balcony seat. I don't need it as bad as they need. And he says, everyone has sinned and fallen short. And Peter's saying the same thing. Don't forget that we put Christ on that cross. The third thing that I want to point out is that he offers us new life in the gospel The Gospel covers the truth of who we are and begins to reshape us, creating an alternate opportunity for us to be counted in righteousness. He offers us freedom. Verse 29 of Acts, if we can scroll to that. You see where he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne, seeing that what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, go to the next one, that he was not to be abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. He's saying David had this crazy confidence that he knew that God's word was true, And that he was going to provide an alternate way, even though he was breathing his last breath, he would provide a way for his life to make a difference. For his legacy to be known, for the promise to be fulfilled in him. He knew that there was another one who would come, who would pave the path. I just want to give you the message of the gospel is a message of freedom saying, there is no sacrifice that you could make. There is no I'm sorry that you can say. There is no whatever that you could do in your capacity beyond receiving the gift of Jesus Christ who prepares another way, a pathway for you to be covered in Him, to be set free from the sin and destruction that we carry. See, all of us, I I say this, all of us know what we look like when nobody else is looking. All of us know what we look from the inside. We've seen each other in the best moments and we've seen ourselves in the worst moments. And we know the things that we are not proud of and we are ashamed of on the other hand. We know the places in our lives that we wish that God would just fix that or turn that or we could get some kind of surgery that would remove that. And, and we live in this kind of mix between shame and glory. And the message of the Gospel is this. That shame that you feel naturally, that frustration that you're trying to drown in everything else that you're doing, seeking after success and seeking after those things to give you hope, it's never going to do it. The message of the Gospel is there is hope in Jesus Christ who's prepared the way. Now here's what happens at the end of this text. He forces a response. The message forces a response. When you're telling the message of, a cro- of the cross, there is no, oh, that's nice. Okay, let's carry on. There's a response. So what was the response of the people to Peter? You guys remember that? What are we supposed to do? Right? This intense Longing, Okay, we get it. We get it. Like, hands up. Guns down. What are we supposed to do? Help us out here. Like, we thought we were just coming to the post-barley harvest party, and all of a sudden, at Exeter Brew Fest, you show up and start proclaiming this to us, right? <laughs> <laughs> Boom, hit you right at home. There you go. All of a sudden, the place I didn't expect you to show up, you're here, and now you're offering it. What in the world? What do we do? What do we do? Tell me. Now here's one thing that's crazy about where we are in our current culture and what, what we've been drawn to at this point. You know we live in like the Bible Belt of California, right? You're aware of that? We're probably the only thing keeping the island afloat, just so you know. <laughs> Some days I think God would just take you like a stack of cards and like knock it off. <laughs> yeah, Just take off that edge, we'll be fine, right? But what we do is we kind of live in this place where, you know, you go to church, you do your thing, you mark it off the list, and you move on. And it's really easy to hear the message proclaimed without being changed. But one of the things that we see from this very first sermon is when we're telling the truth of Jesus Christ, when we're proclaiming the message of the gospel, every time the gospel is proclaimed, there has to be a response interesting to consider that. The Puritans said this in some of their writings, that the same sun that melts the ice is the sun that hardens the clay. And in moments of our lives, we we experience that melting of our hearts where it's like, oh man, that cut me to the very core. And in those moments, what they would say, where we hear the message proclaimed, when we hear the truth proclaimed, and we walk away with no change, there's been a clay hardening experience. Those moments in our lives when we kind of tuck away those portions. We, know we let God touch this area, but we're going to tuck away some parts of our life that those are ours. They're just hardening and hardening and hardening. And I want to encourage you, church, let's not be the typical Christian church in America that just comes in, feels good. The music's awesome. Like, wow, that was so great. Like, bringing Andrew in made my day, right? And, and having these people around and, whoa, this is so cool. We, we shook hands for two and a half minutes. I've never done that in my life, right? And we had this great experience and then we go, but the Word doesn't shape and change our hearts. And you can never leave after having looked at the Word and not be changed if you're really allowing God to do something deep in your heart. So God meets us where we are. He tells us the truth about ourselves. He offers us new life through the gospel. He forces our response. There is no question. There is no place where it's like, "Do you want to just hold on that to, to that for the next month and think about it?" There's a response. And final thought for the night is he invites us into a community of faith. I love the fact that the very next bit of this explains how they began to form their community, building one another up. Go to the last verses of that chapter. It says, everyone was filled with awe. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give it to everyone. They had it in need. They devoted themselves to teaching. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple, broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And more and more and more people were added to their number. I met with some junior high boys this last week, and we were talking about what it meant to stand up and say, I want to believe, I want to be part of the community of faith to these people. To stand up and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, and to be baptized in front of your community meant your business would probably have to shut down. You would be cast away from the community of Jewish believers. You would no longer be welcome. This wasn't for just the love of selling all their stuff. This was for survival, that they were doing these things. I sat with these boys on some bleachers, and I said, Boys, God is calling us to a kind of faith that would be willing to risk it all. All of our comfort, all of our ease of life, all of the things that we care about, would we be willing to lay them down? knowing that everyone in your community, you would probably receive death threats. You would have family walk away from you. Is that the kind of faith you're willing to enter? And then I backtrack to a moment in my youth pastor days, when a girl who was in our youth group came, and she said, I'd like to talk with you, Pastor Jeff. And I said, yeah, that's great. Like, let's talk after service, and She said, I like all this stuff. I like everything that's going on here. I think it's super cool. But you have to understand, if I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, like you're talking about, which I desperately want to do, my parents have openly told me that I will not be welcome in their home anymore. And I'm only 15, and I don't know what to do with that. Whoa. That was in Visalia. That's here. That's among us. We prayed, and we talked, and I met with her, walked through some tough stuff with her. She she took on faith. She said, I believe I'm going to receive Jesus, and whatever happens, I'm going to take it. They didn't kick her out. But it was one of those moments, saying, I'm willing to risk it all because this matters. My hope to us tonight and the way I'd like to just close this time up is for us to consider those couple of things that God meets us where we are and he tells us the truth about ourselves. He's not going to let us just pass on and he's going to give us the message that there's hope beyond what I get regularly lost in. And he forces our response and invites us to come home. Tonight, as we're here, we have been called to start in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does that look like to us? Have we, are we in process still where that message is taking us? Are we in process of hearing the Word and being shaped? Do we need to activate our faith in a way that we haven't understood before? I didn't focus on it, but there's something about that first 13 verses that changed the way that those people looked at the world, that changed the heart of a man who had denied Christ, who was an uneducated fisherman, and stood up and proclaimed a message he never should have been able to proclaim to people he never should have been talking to, in a way that called them home, because heaven is their home. So our challenge this week as we go out from here is again, let the Holy Spirit work through you. Look for the places that God's speaking to you. Look for the people and the situations and the opportunities that come your way because God is shaping and molding and reshaping us. And his presence is heavy among us. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you tonight for the opportunity that we have to love you and honor you and worship you. Father, I thank You for being a God who tells us the truth about who we are, but first of all, a God who meets us where we are. I'm grateful that You don't just let me off the hook easy and You don't just tell me the things that I want to hear, but You literally reshape my soul in Your presence, God. So Father, I pray through the power and the presence of Your Holy Spirit, would You be at work among us tonight? And help us to know and hear and see the things you want us to understand. Father, work in our hearts, work in our lives, we pray. Would your presence be strong here? In these next couple minutes and the way we close our services here at Pipeline is to give you some time just to pray on your own. I'm not going to feed you a prayer. I'm not going to tell you what your heart should be saying to God. But I am going to give you an opportunity. And if you are here tonight and you've heard the message of the gospel and you have not decided for yourself that this is the way, the truth, and the life, let tonight be the night that you choose. Stop playing around with it. Stop coming and letting the clay harden, but open up and let the Lord begin to do a work in you and your family and the people around you. He'll be faithful to complete it. And if that's you tonight, then your prayer would go a little bit like this in the next couple minutes. Dear God, I've had a lot of other gods before you, but tonight I want you to be my one God. I choose to receive the gift of Your Spirit through Your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins. I'm so sorry. Will You forgive me? I receive You. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. God, I want You to be my one God forever. Amen. And maybe that's not Your prayer. Maybe that's been your history and you know that you are secure in your faith and that god has touched you in a unique way i pray that there was something in tonight's message that spoke to you and and pushed you and urged you to see the world differently than you when you walked in before i went back and forth on this message all week And I had to let the Lord kind of wreck my own spirit and my own heart because honestly, I've got some pretty serious areas of pride that I've been struggling with and some pretty broken places that I needed the Lord to restore in my heart and my life. This message met me where I was, revealed the ugly truth of who I am, and the Gospel covered me up, gave me an alternate way, helped me to understand the faith that I was so richly given. Wherever you are, would you take these minutes to let God do a work and begin a work in you that He'll be faithful to complete. Let's take some moments to pray and then let's stand and worship with all of our hearts in just a few moments. Make no mistake, in that day, in that room, there was a mighty rushing wind and there were tongues of fire above the heads of men and women. And they felt the presence of God like they had never felt before. And you know what? It wasn't so that the Holy Spirit could be glorified, it was so that the name of Jesus could be made great because His name is the only name that sets us free. His name is the only name that declares victory over death and sin and the hell that exists for those who do not follow. We have been rescued. We've been rescued. Let's go proclaim the name of Jesus because we've been rescued. And don't let anything stand in your way. Tonight, there's a whole mess of you that I have never met before, and maybe just because I am out of my mind and I don't know everybody. But if you're here and you're visiting the first time, please meet somebody, sit with us at a dinner table. We eat kind of in, ba- in, in banquet style. So find somebody you don't know and sit down and, and tell your story and hear their story and find out how we can connect as a community. There's some cards on the table that's, uh, that say people matter. And uh, we love your information just to connect with you. You can definitely write on there like, hey, I'm visiting, don't mess with me. I don't want you talking to me anymore. You know, whatever you want, you just say something nice, okay? Don't be like vulgar about it. But the other side is if God did something in your life tonight, if God's been working on you over these past couple weeks and God's been moving you to see the world more vividly, write us a note, drop it in one of those cans, Just say, this is where God's at work. People of Pipeline Church, I'm going to ask you to receive a blessing from the Lord tonight. Just extend your hands. I'm going to ask, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. And may His face shine on you in the glory and majesty of His great name. May His Holy Spirit empower you to service of the King and point others to Christ as we lift Him up in our world. May the goodness and the righteousness of our Heavenly Father permeate and cleanse our hearts this week, changing our decisions and moving us toward the glory that He so desperately wants us to be near. May the presence of the Lord be with you in a way that is for His glory and the good of this valley. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Have a great night. Let's go eat together and celebrate His goodness.